There was a gentleman who was struggling with alcoholism. He stumbled onto the subway train, and, and he sat next to a, a priest. And as he sat down, he pulled out his newspaper. He started reading, and, and, and he had lipstick, red lipstick on his face, and, and he smelled, and he had a half bottle of gin sticking out of his rip pocket of his coat. And as he was reading the paper, he, he decided to nudge the priest, and he said, Father, what causes arthritis? And the priest thought for a second, he said, Well, son, it's caused by loose living, being with cheap, wicked women, too much alcohol, and a contempt for your fellow man. The man looked at the priest, he said, Really? He sat there for a little longer reading the paper, and the priest started, he started feeling guilty that he came on too strong. He said, son, I am so sorry that, that I came on so strong, and I belittled you. How long have you been suffering with arthritis? Oh, Father, I don't have arthritis. I was just reading here that the Pope does. <laughs> you see, as pastors, we have an opportunity to go to homes and visit and, and uh, enjoy people in their homes. There was a new pastor. He, he went out to one of his parishioners' houses, and, and he could tell they were home. He saw, he saw some movement in the house, and, and so he knocks on the door. He kept knocking, and no one came to the door. Finally, he took out a business card from his pocket, and he, and he wrote Revelation 3.20 on the back of it and stuck it in the door. Well, following Sunday, they were cleaning out the offering plate, and, and there's his business card. One side it says Revelation 3.20, and on the other side was a cryptic message that said Genesis 3.10. He goes, man, I know Revelation 3.20 says I stand at the door and knock. What does Genesis 3.10 says? And he had to laugh as he, as he looked in his Bible, and, and it said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid. For I was naked. Well, good morning, friends. My name is Phil Chapman, and I have the uh, privilege of serving as the campus pastor at Indian Creek. But today I have the pleasure of preaching about one of my favorite subjects of the entire world, the Bible. You see, 25 years ago, quarter of a century ago, I gave my life to Jesus Christ. I gave my life to Jesus Christ, and that was the single best decision I have ever made. Do you know what the second best decision I made? One might say, choosing my bride, or, or the decision to have children, or, or becoming a pastor. Those are all great, great decisions. But my second best decision, after the fact of giving my life to Jesus Christ, was the decision to read the Word. The decision to read the Word. It was the winter of 1993. My brother Jeff and I, we were sitting watching the Bears game. Jim Harbaugh was, was the quarterback, and Kevin Butler was the, kicking a field goal. And as, as Kevin kicked that field goal into the, to the large net, there was a man holding a white sign. And inscribed on that white sign was John 3.16. My brother asked me, as I had been a Christian for two and a half years at that point, he said, Phil, what is John 3.16? I had no idea. 
I had no idea. But I did know that my grandmother had given to me as a gift just that Christmas a Bible. A little New King James Bible. It said Holy Bible on the front. Philip Chapman engraved on it. And I knew right where that was at. I had to pull the box up and, and take the Bible out. And, and we looked. I'm sure we looked for a while. I don't remember exactly, but I bet, I bet we were looking. Maybe went to the, the table of contents at the beginning to find out where it was. And as I read John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, and I, we finished that off. Wow. The Holy Spirit just grabbed me at that moment, and I fell in love with God's Word. That second semester, I changed my major from uh, pre-law to religion philosophy. And I started taking all kinds of classes on learning about who Jesus was. And they kept telling me that I had no idea that what Scripture was teaching was not true. More to that story in a minute. Bottom line, I fell in love with God's Word. But why are we, why are we talking about it today? Why, why are we digging in to what God's Word is and what it means to us? You see, on October 31st of this year, we will celebrate the 500th anniversary of the nail, nailing of the 95 Theses, the start of the Protestant Reformation uh, from our celebration. And, and in fact, I think we have a short video that does a, a little introduction that helps you understand a little bit more. People were charging money in exchange for the forgiveness of sins. The leaders of the church were abusing God's gift of grace for profit. Meanwhile, a monk named Martin Luther, a theologian of the scriptures, was questioning his personal salvation. He struggled to understand the scripture in Romans 1, 16 through 17. Paul proclaims the good news of God's justice, saving us by his grace, not by what we have done. As he studied the passage, he first understood the gospel message that God forgives sins through faith. This new understanding contradicted what he saw practiced in the church. In 1517, he wrote these differences in 95 Theses, which challenged the church he loved to rethink their actions. This marked the beginning of the Protestant Reformation. This movement changed our views on justification, the authority of Scripture, and church leadership. People's views of God were no longer limited to fear and judgment, but expanded to see Him as comforter and Savior. Protestant Reformation stands as one of the most, if not the most, important and world-changing events since the birth of the church. It wasn't just the the single act of the nailing of the 95 Theses. It wasn't the single actor of Martin Luther. It was thousands of people over decades of time that created this Reformation. And you know what? Some people might argue that, that the person who was one of the most responsible people for this Reformation died 15 years before Martin Luther ever was born. It was 1397 in, in Mainz, Germany, a gentleman was born who was going to uh, invent a machine. He was 53 years old when he invented this machine, and the machine would stay pretty much the same for six 
six centuries. His name was Johannes Gutenberg. The machine was the printing press. And without the printing press, Martin Luther's message would not have got out to the masses. Without the printing press, the German Bible would never have happened because it wouldn't have been able to be duplicated. Before that time, the Bible was taught by the Pope, by priests, monks. And whatever they said was what people believed was being said in the Bible. But when Martin Luther completed his work of translating Erasmus's Greek New Testament in 11 weeks, and he turned in that New Testament to the printing press, in the first two months, October and November of 1522, that New Testament sold 5,000 copies. Many people had a hand in this tremendous reformation. I alluded to it already that, that this reformation... It, it, it was a monumental event. Religiously, obviously, it affected things, but it affected things politically and socially and educationally. Some might argue that the greatest effect, I would argue that the greatest effect was the spiritual effect. People started focusing on God's Word, started focusing on Jesus Christ. It, it was a movement from the darkness to the light an awakening of the church. And as pastors, we, we wanted to get to the heart of this historic event, this 500th year. We wanted to get to the heart of it, and so that's why we decided to preach on the solas, the five solas. And these served as, as core commandments, as foundational pillars of all that was, was believed, all that they wanted to preach on. It was, it was the, these five solas is what framed the Protestant Reformation. It's our... It was their entire goal uh, to, to change the church, capital C, a focus back to the gospel. And you know, at Village Bible Church, that's our goal too, is that we stand on, on these five solas and, and, and in my life as a family man. That's my desire. The solas, solus Christus, Christ alone. Sola fida, faith alone. Sola gratia, grace alone. Pastor Badal taught you that last week. Soli Deo Gloria, to the glory of God alone. Pastor Travis will be preaching on that. And Sola Scriptura. That's what I have the privilege of preaching today. And I pray that we can hear from God and not from Phil. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, Lord, we pray that you speak to us today and that I get out of the way and that the focus is all about you. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, the first thing we need to do is we need to recognize that there was a problem. That there was a problem and there continues to be a problem. And that problem is the fact that we think, think that we are the authority. It, the, just that statement alone contradicts saying Scripture alone. That Scripture is the final authority we think we are. Sometimes we get our, our culture and our traditions and our opinions, our life circumstances in the way, and we think that that's truth. Here's a picture of my family. That's my family. That's my wife. 
and uh, Allison, my oldest, and then Maddie, and Jacob, and then Molly and Reggie. Molly and Reggie are here today, and um, my wife and I, we were in a discussion with one of our children, and in this discussion, one of my children, one of my daughters, basically said something that was contradicting Scripture. And I, I said, whoa, whoa, what a minute, wait a minute. You're, you're speaking something that's against the Bible. And she said, I don't care. I said, well, the conversation's over then. Because we use the Bible as our filter. We use the Bible. We, we talk about all of our discipline through there. We stick to Scripture. You know, that was Martin Luther's whole issue. Is that he wanted to stick with the Bible as the final authority, as opposed to the Pope being the final authority. He wanted to filter it through Scripture. I'm guessing maybe Martin Luther was thinking about Galatians 5.1, where it says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. You see, then it was the Pope who had the authority. Now, it seems that everyone has a voice. And in fact, everyone's voice, when they speak, somehow, it's considered valid. It's, it's considered the truth. I told you, I went back my freshman year, and, and, and I, I went to religion philosophy, and, and they're teaching me all about the Bible, and they're saying that the Bible, some things are, are true, and other things are fake, and, and, and these things are just stories. And you know what? Let's just throw that completely out. And I started thinking that. It was the last day of my freshman year. I'm literally putting my boxes together, me and my roommate, Jason. Jason, I don't even know at the time, is, is a believer. He's now a state trooper in Iowa and loves the Lord. But, but I, Jason and I are in a conversation, and we're boxing stuff up to go home. And, and, and I make some comment like, oh, no, no, that's just a story in the Bible. That's not true. And Jason looked at me, and he said, what are you talking about? What gives you the right to say what is true and what isn't true? At that moment, the Holy Spirit convicted me of the truth of Scripture. In fact, I, I, I sat on the Bible saying, this is the absolute Word of God. It is inerrant. I moved into the second semester, or the first semester of my sophomore year, and, I, and I'm taking all the classes and... and the professor, the head of the religion department, she has us write a, a paper on what do we think the Bible is. Oh, it was beautiful. I wrote this paper and, and, and all about uh, the inerrancy of God. And, oh, it's perfect. All 66 books. It was a beautiful paper from my vantage point. And I get the paper back, and it is red. It is completely red red ink all over, and on the top was a big D plus. And she wrote on there, please do not share your opinions, only share the truth. I never backed down from that point. I continued to trust that this is God's word. You see, with the invention of social media, people are able to share their voices at an at a, at a astounding rate. 
They're able to share their ideas. And you know what? People take them as valid. People take them as valid. My daughter, it's gotten to the, a crazy point where my daughter went for a checkup the other day. And you know how the nurse will see you, do all the vitals, and maybe they'll ask you some questions before the doctor walks in? The nurse is carrying a conversation on with my daughter, and, and she looks at her and says, Allison, what was your birth gender? And Allie looked at her like, are you kidding me? Girl? She goes, oh, okay, okay, thank you. And, and what are you currently identifying as? You see, we've gotten to the point where there is no absolute truth. And when you have no absolute truth, you have chaos. And, and, and everybody's, uh, depending on the author and their thoughts and their feelings, are considered valid. There was a problem. There continues to be a problem. However, there is a prescription. There is a prescription. And the prescription is the fact that God's word is the authority. Amen? Psalm 119, we're going to stick in there for a while. Psalm 119, verses 89 and on have some great truths and really talk about God's word. Psalm 118, 89 through 91 says this, Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the earth, and it stands fast. By your appointment, they stand this day, for all things are your servants. God's word is permanent. God's word is permanent. I like the way, just past these verses, in verse 160 of 119, it says, The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. Ecclesiastes 3.14 says, I perceived that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken away. You see, the, the word of God is eternal. It is eternal. And so many people take stuff out of it, add stuff into it, and just deny it. But it doesn't change the fact that it's eternal. The Holy Scripture it is beautiful because when you dig into it, when you ask, ask the Holy Spirit to teach you as you're reading God's Word and you use Scripture to prove Scripture, you will be changed. You will be affected. You will understand the truth. And you know what? As pastors, as elders, as small group leaders, as children's church teachers, women's Bible study teachers, vacation Bible school educators, we do our best to bring forth God's word in truth. We use scripture to prove scripture. We dig in, we ask the Holy Spirit to teach us, but we will fail. We will make mistakes. And that's when we say, it's back to the word. Thank you for that correction. It's back to the word. As elders, we get together and we'll talk about any topic, any topic. Could be spiritual or, or something else. And the conversation starts filtering itself through Scripture. What does Scripture teach us about that? 
What can we learn about that? We believe that God's word is precious. That it is precious. Psalm 119, 92 and 93 says, If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. That's what happened to Martin Luther. He was a theologian teaching, and he fell in love with God's word. And he understood that everything in the canon had to be focused on the permanency and on the preciousness of it. Just a few verses back in that same psalm in verse 70, it says, The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. How do you treat in the Bible? How do you see God's word? Does does God's word bore you? Do you do you have multiple copies of God's word at your home that collect dust? Five of them, six of them, twenty of them. I love Ethiopia. I have two children from Ethiopia. I've been there five or six times. A great friend of mine. His name's Bizarat. We call him Busy. Bizarat was 16 years old when a gentleman shared one piece of scripture with him, John 3:16. Busy was uh, in a family that that was under a, another religion, and Busy was transformed that moment he heard John 3:16. And he gave his life to Christ. His family was disgusted that he had done that. So they tied him to the top of the van. And they drove for several hours to get to Addis Ababa, which is the capital city in in Ethiopia. And then they threw him off the van because they didn't want to even get close to him because they were going to be affected. Busy found his way at 16 years old to the city dump a portion of the city called Cora. And there he, he picked through the garbage to get food and, and clothing. There at, at night, he would, he would cover himself in garbage so the, so the wild wooshas, the wild dogs, wouldn't eat him. He smelled. He looked bad. But he saw a church. And he knew that they, they didn't want scavengers like him around. So he would sneak into the church. And he would memorize one Bible verse. Sometimes he'd memorize two Bible verses. And he'd lock them in. And then he'd go out. And he'd wait for the big truck. Beep, beep, beep. Because in there was the best garbage. The best stuff. Because it was fresh. And as they would dump that, he would have people on his right and left, and and he would be like, hey, here's the Bible verse I learned today. Hey, here's what God's Word says. And he'd share it all over the place. Busy's in his 30s now. He doesn't know his real age. But he has shared God's Word over and over and over. He understood the preciousness of God's Word. And because of that, multiple churches have popped up in the area of Korah. I personally had the privilege of preaching at one of his churches, all because he stood 
on God's word. God's word is permanent. God's word is precious. And it's also persevering. Psalm 119, 94 and 95 says, I am yours, save me, for I have sought your precepts. The wicked lie in wait to destroy me, but I consider your testimonies. Sherry and I so many times have leaned into God's word, hoping and trusting in God, knowing that his words are not going to return void, and it has allowed us to persevere. God's word perseveres through any situation. God's word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Proverbs 5 Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths, continuing to dig into Scripture to learn more. There is a friend of mine, Jonathan Mirage, from India. He's a missionary, him and his wife, for, for decades. And Jonathan Mirage, he would, he would come to our church, and, and he would preach, and inevitably... Because of, of the things that Jonathan and his wife had seen and watched, the horrible things that they had been witness to, they understood that God's word was the reason they were able to persevere, was the reason that they were able to give hope to other people to persevere. And he would always say in his messages, he would say three things. He'd say three simple yet profound things that I haven't heard him say in over 20 years, yet they are locked in my brain. He would say, Read the word, read the word, read the word. He knew that it could help you to persevere. Understanding that God's word is permanent, that it's precious. It helps us to persevere, but it's truly perfect. God's word is perfect. And some of you here are probably arguing against that in your head. You're probably like me when I was in my second semester, my freshman year. Ah, it's a bunch of stories. That's just a, a good book. That, that's not absolutely true. Those things are fake. That one story about that whale, that's not true. One person said, men do not reject the Bible because it contradicts itself, but because it contradicts them. There was a young preacher in 1949. He came to a crossroads. You see, he was studying and, and learning from some commentators that were actually saying that there were a significant amount of contradictions in Scripture. And this 31-year-old preacher started questioning the Bible himself. He started saying, do I, do I even believe in this? Do I even trust in this? And he, 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 he came in a fork in the road where he had to say, either I believe every word in here or I stop preaching. I stop bringing forth God's word because that's not fair. He wrote in his biography, I'm going to quote him, at 31 years age, this is what he said at a retreat. I got up and I took a walk. The moon was out. The shadows were long in San Bernardino mountains surrounding the retreat center. Dropping to my knees there in the woods, I opened the Bible at random on a tree stump in front of me. I could not read in the shadowy moonlight, so I had no idea what text lay before me. Back at Florida Bible Institute, that kind of woodsy setting had given me a natural pulpit for proclamation. Now, 
It was an altar where I could only stutter into prayer. The exact wording in my prayer is beyond recall, but it must have echoed my thoughts. Oh, God, there are many things in this book I do not understand. There are many problems with it for which I have no solution. There are many seeming contradictions. I was laying to be on the level with God, but something remained unspoken. At last, the Holy Spirit freed me to say it. Father, I am going to accept this as thy word by faith. I'm going to allow faith to go beyond my intellectual questions and doubts, and I will believe this to be your inspired word. In my heart and mind, I knew a spiritual battle in my soul had been fought and had been won. Those are the words of the great Billy Graham. Proverbs 35 says, Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Psalm 12, 6 says, The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace on the earth, refined seven times. Psalm 19, 7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. We also need to understand that Scripture is the revelation of God. 2 Peter 1.21 For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Jeremiah comments about it, that it was him why he could write and tell the story. It was him. There is a necessity, absolute necessity, for this to be, for Scripture, to be the revelation of God and not the revelation of man. This was the whole argument for Martin Luther of why, what he was having. You see, he was okay with the authority of the Pope. He was okay with the church. He was okay with it as long as it wasn't contradicting Scripture. As long as they were following along in Scripture and that that could be the final authority. 2 Timothy 3, 16-17 says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. All Scripture, all Scripture is breathed out by God. It is His revelation. Scripture is also reliable. It's absolutely reliable. Did you catch what what 2 Timothy said here? That it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, training in righteousness. That's why Sherry and I, that's why we stand on God's word. Is we know that it's absolutely reliable. Because if you go with Phil and Sherry Chapman's thoughts and opinions, we are going to be affected by whatever is currently going on in our lives. We are going to be affected by the emotions of the situation. We are going to be affected in our brains because we don't have the capacity to, have, to be all-knowing. But when we stand on God's word, we know that it's absolutely reliable that we continue to go to it. That's how we try to train. Finally, we see that scripture is resourceful. It's resourceful. It allows men and women to be complete in the Lord. It allows for us to perform every good work. Scripture teaches we love because Christ first loved us. That's how we know how to love. We understand situations. We can act and react based on what Scripture teaches us. That's the beauty 
of God's word. But we can know God's word. We can, we can, we can believe all of those things, but we need to put it into practice. We need to put it into practice. And the first thing is we actually have to know the word. We have to know the word. And when we do that, we can know the word by through our memorization and our meditating. Both of those ways. And probably before memorization, I'd say, read the word. Dig in. Read the word. Psalm 119.11 says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I was an educator for 16 years. And we would say that it was impossible to apply what we could not remember. That's what we would tell the kids. And so we understood that if we were creating a situation where the kids had to cram for the test the night before, that they would not lock it in their brain. They would not be able to recall it in the future. That's the importance of Scripture memory. We wanted uh, to, to have some application, not just for today, but for tomorrow. Deuteronomy eleven eighteen says, You shall therefore lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul, and you shall bind them as a sign in your head, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You know, some people, some people are so good at memorizing. So good, it's kind of annoying at times. I have, I have a buddy who, who's now memorizing books of the Bible because just portions of Scripture aren't enough anymore. But you don't have to get to that point. Just start off with something simple. Start off with John 3.16. Lock that in your brain that you fully know that. I have another friend at the Sugar Grove campus, and he uses little index cards. And every verse that he's working on memorizing, he writes out the verse, and then he, he has a little laminator at his house, and he laminates that card, just index cards. And he memorizes that scripture. And when he gets that one, he starts a second one. And he, and he works on that one, and as he's working on that one, he reviews the other one. Now he has a stack about that big of index cards that this gentleman's worked through. But just start with one. My first verse that I ever memorized was Galatians 2.20. God's word is, is powerful. You know, and once you memorize it, start meditating on it. Don't, don't just put it in your brain and, and, and okay, that's good. I, I'm good for Awana. I, I'm good for that competition. I've got it locked in. No, meditate on it. What is God's word actually teaching you? That's what Busy was doing. In Ethiopia, that's what he was doing. He was meditating on God's word, and he started just talking about it with his friends. A great way to meditate on it is to actually talk about it with some peers. What, what is God's word saying here? And, and praying about it. And finally, as we just read in James, we just went through a whole series, do the word. Do the word. Don't just know the word, but be doers of the word. James 1 talks about it. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers alone, deceiving yourselves. The one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So we see right away that we need to be listeners of God's word. 
Be listeners of the word. It is very important that you are hearing God's word frequently, often. We have a great opportunity in this society where Bibles are plentiful. I can Google anything at any point and have it read to me while I'm driving. It's amazing. You can hear God's word. You can read God's word. You can study God's word. But if, all you're, if you have a dull heart, you have a heart that's, that, that's not ready to receive God's word, that's all it becomes. You're just listening. I believe that you need to love God's word. You need to love his word. When you're in love with God's word, you'll be able to hear it much better. It's like if you went to the movies, and you went to a movies, and, and, and 10 minutes into the movie, it got boring. And, and you start, you, you sneak out your phone, and you're looking at, the, uh, at your text. Maybe, maybe you tell people, you, you can't hear anything that's happening on the screen, because it's boring. I don't even want to watch this anymore. Maybe, hey, I'll get popcorn, guys. Anyone need refills on popcorn? You're that guy volunteering for that. And, and at the end of the movie, oh, that was a boring movie. You don't tell anyone about it. Maybe you tell them, hey, you know what, don't, don't watch that movie. Don't watch that movie. That's, that's boring. When you had no idea what it was really about. Or you could be the person who's at the edge of your seat. And, and you're the, shh, person. Quiet down. And you're listening, and you're trying to anticipate everything, and you're in love with what's happening. Wow. All of a sudden, you're like, oh, my goodness, this movie was awesome. And you go and you tell people, did you see what he did? Did you hear what she said? Oh my goodness, it was awesome. And you're telling everybody about it. That's what falling in love with God's word does. If you're bored with it, you don't hear it. I'm not going to tell anyone about this book, this old book. This thing is brutal. But if you love it, not the book, don't, not, not fall in love in love with God's word, the 66 books in it, all of a sudden, wow, it comes to life. And you're looking at every word and you're, you're anticipating. And you're starting to say, wow, I've got to tell people about this. I've got to share this. Did you hear this story? It's amazing. And basically what I'm saying is you start living it. You start living it. Because again, you understand that these 66 books together are beautiful and perfect and is precious. You understand that it's going to be sharper than any two-edged sword. I've got one more point for you that's not in your bulletin. One more extra point. You need to listen to the Word. You need to love the Word. You need to live the Word. But you also need to share the word. Can I get an amen for that? Sharing God's word on a regular basis is absolutely crucial. And I'm not just referring to, to Busy's type of sharing, where, where, where you share one verse about something. I'm talking about a different type of sharing. I, I, I mentioned earlier that some of us have five, six, 20 copies at our home that are collecting dust. Give your word out. Give the word out to people. Share it with others. It's a, it makes tremendous gifts 
as your standard gift to somebody. It was about 20 years ago. I was at Northern Illinois University studying to be a teacher. And I was at McDonald's enjoying some McNuggets and fries, probably a large Coke. And I'm sitting in my Chevy Lumina. And I'm just enjoying the day. It's beautiful out. And I look in the mirror. And I see in the exterior playground at McDonald's, not what I was expecting, not eight-year-old kids running around, no, what I called them back in the day, skater-die dudes. They had skateboards, and they were messing around in the playground, and, and all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit said, hey, give them a Bible. I said, no, are you kidding me? Okay, I'll give them a Bible. You see, I had been to Promise Keepers at Soldier Field. Some of you may have gone to that one. And they were giving away these New Testaments. They had boxes and boxes of them, and I just grabbed handfuls of them to give away. And my entire goal uh, it, at Northern Illinois, Uni- Northern Illinois University was to preach God's Word in dynamic ways. I only know one guy in that whole situation that ever gave his life to Jesus Christ while I was at Northern. Doug was his name. Don't even know his last name, but he gave his life to Jesus Christ because I was heeding the Holy Spirit. So I'm in the Chevy Lumina at McDonald's. I grab that New Testament, and I'm just like, I don't even know why you're having me do this. And I walk over to the, that, you know, I have fence. They don't want the kids to run out into the traffic. And, and so I come up to the fence, and I grab the fence, and, and, and I reach through the fence. I said, hey, guys, God wanted me to give you this Bible. And they laughed at me. Okay. I wasn't offended. I I, I heeded the Holy Spirit. And I set that Bible into my passenger seat, and that was weird, God. And I continued to eat my nuggets, probably a 20-piece. And then I looked in the, the right mirror, my passenger side, and I saw these skater die dudes who are just normal people. And I saw them leaving the McDonald's and it looks like they're going to walk right past my passenger side. Oh, this could be fun. Who knows what's going to happen. So they, I think there was five of them. And they all walk by. And as the fifth one walks by, he gets to the front tire of my car. He backpedals and he leans into the wheel window and he says, hey, can I have that Bible? I gave him God's word. I don't know whatever happened to that gentleman, but all I know is that I shared the word. I shared the word and it is powerful. So I leave you with one final challenge. No matter your age, no matter your situation in life, I leave you with one final challenge. Read the word. Read the word. Read the word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that your word is powerful. It is perfect. It is precious. It helps us to persevere. May we live your word. May we know your word. Please urge us to fall in love with your word, God. 
We're so thankful that, that your word points to your son, Jesus. It points to, to his willingness to live for us and die for us. It points to his resurrection. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. It's in your son, Jesus' name we pray.